Hello, listeners. Before we begin this episode of Upshift, I want to point out that, yes, it is late, and it is weird. This is an episode that I recorded by myself over multiple just different evenings where I was finding a half an hour, an hour here, and there to, to record. And at this point, I know that I repeat anecdotes and stories in multiple parts of the episode that were recorded on different days, but the, it is... Two weeks late and two days. I, I am recording this on Sunday. So yeah, at some point I talk about how I'm recording on Thanksgiving. It is true. I recorded some of this on Thanksgiving, but this is Sunday, December 10th. So somehow I managed to completely blow past the day after the Black Friday was supposed to be the release date. It's since been two weeks from the original release date. I missed that recording day and now I'm two days later. So it's, it's either I make this even later or I just accept that it is going to be a rough episode, but there's good content in it. I apologize that it is not as smooth as I usually like it to be. I might re-record, uh, no, I'm not going to re-record. I might re-edit this at a later point and upload that and replace that. So, hey, maybe you've got a collector's edition of episode 27 of Upshift. With that out of the way, on with the breakdown of Ferocious Fighters Factions in Action Volume 1. Welcome to episode 27 of Upshift, No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Sello, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system and an author on the G.I. Joe Transformers and My Little Pony role-playing game called Rulebooks, as well as over a dozen Essence 20 products for Renegade Game Studios. Normally, I'm joined by Jason Keeley, a former developer of the Essence 20 line for Renegade, but uh, as of this recording, it is American Thanksgiving, and as you might have surmised by uh, my calling it American Thanksgiving, it's not my Thanksgiving, I'm Canadian, and so he was busy today with family affairs, I was free, and this episode needed to go up tomorrow. So the question was, what could I talk about that I would not mind not getting Jason's insight on? Renegade answered that for me. A few weeks ago, I put in a request for PDFs of any of the Essence 20 books that I hadn't worked on. So a lot of the Power Rangers books and like Decepticon, Decepticon Directive for the Transformers game. Basically, I, I work on a lot of the crossover material and I wanted to stay up to date of what is happening with Essence 20. Because even though I'm really well known for my work on G.I. Joe and I've worked on a lot of the core rule books, I am just one of a dozen authors or and a growing number of authors that are working on this line. And I was just hoping to stay current. And Renegade countered and said, what if we also sent you physical copies of all, all of those books? And I am not just a game designer. I'm also a gamer and a man who appreciates game books. So I said yes. And now uh, my, my Essence 20 shelf... Looks exactly the same, because I have not shelved it, but I've got a pile of Essence 20 books, and not just books, they also sent me, like, the G.I. Joe miniatures, they sent me a whole bunch of stuff. So, I am looking forward to when that shelf is fully complete, and looking as impressive as possible. And one of the books that was in that cache was Ferocious Fighters, Factions in Action, Volume 1, a book that I wrote, I worked on, I wrote on, I was a project manager on, and Jason barely touched. It was one of the last things, just the initial stages of Ferocious Fighters was one of the last things Jason did before he left Renegade. 
So this would just be one of those episodes where I feel like I'm talking at Jason and he doesn't get as much chance to contribute because like he doesn't have as much insight into the book. So this is perfect for an episode without Jason. So today will be all about G.I. Joe role-playing game, Ferocious Fighters, Factions in Action, Volume 1. Before I go into the rules and even the lore of the book, I like to just go a little bit of the publishing history, how this book even came to be. So back when Elisa was still the producer of the Essence 20 line, at one point she asked me, and she probably asked something similar to all of the Essence 20 designers, what would I like to work on in the future? What do I think would be a nice way for the, like a nice direction for the line to go, the G.I. Joe line specifically for me. And one of the books that I suggested to her was Factions in Action, this book that takes all of these allies that are like adjacent to G.I. Joe and Cobra, so Dreadnoughts, the Iron Grenadiers, all of them, and plus the teams within G.I. Joe and Cobra, so like Tiger Force and Python Patrol, and we would just do a book exploring all of these different factions and like how you can do different campaigns and how, you know, being part of those factions changes your character. And so this was added to, uh, you know, a list of potential products for the future. Elisa eventually left Renegade. Kevin came in, he's the new producer. And he came to me with kind of a puzzle. He said that we have a gap in our schedule with the following logistic needs that it needs to be at the printer by a certain date, which means that writing needs to be done by this date so that editing can be done by that date and layout. All the art has to be done. And so it's probably, it, and then that date was not super far into the future. So it would have to be a shorter book than usual, but it would still be a hardcover. So it would be the, one of the shorter hardcovers, probably the shortest hardcover for Essence 20 up to that point. What topics could it be on that we could do the full, give the full treatment to in that amount of time. And in the conversation about what books we could be covering, he found this list and he was like, factions in action. We discussed it. And he's like, well, what if this was factions in action volume one? And we broke it up into multiple different books, each one covering, you know, thematic, thematically linked chunks of the factions that would have been in factions in action as a full hardcover. And I loved it. And specifically, I said, if this book was mainly about Tiger Force and Python Patrol, then that is something that is currently important to Jejo because right now uh, at Target, Target has a deal with Hasbro because Hasbro is currently producing these six-inch Jejo classified lines. If you're not into the toys, picture Marvel Legends, which is, boy, if you're not into toys, I don't know. <laughs> you know, six-inch action figure, highly detailed, a lot of articulation, not a lot of gimmicks to them. That's the current G.I. Joe toys that are currently in stores. And it's actually doing very well. It's quite popular. And the and Target has exclusives that are painted as either tigers or these like burgundy and gray hash uh, color scheme. And it's Tiger Force and Python Patrol, both of which are legacy, have a legacy within the brand. So it's like, so this is currently popular. It's currently relevant to the brand and they're, they are producing new toys, which means that there's going to be new art that we can include in the book, which will save us some time and logistics on art. And because both of these are famously just repaints of existing characters, we could actually take some of our art and just repaint it into Tiger Force and Python Patrol versions. And that means we can get a lot more art for this book 
without really stretching the budget. And people won't accuse us of being cheap because this is an homage. This is exactly what Hasbro did in the 80s that created these brands to begin with. And so um, with that, like Kevin was on board and I knew that we had Python Patrol and Tiger Force would be our main two factions. And then kind of like the original factions in action was going to be a bunch of chapters fully dedicated to certain factions and then a chapter in the back that's just, and here's a whole bunch of other cha- uh, factions, you know, stuff with less lore or fewer characters that will just like pack up and kind of like round out the book. So this is now a truncated version of that where we've only got two of these featured factions and we've got a chance to do um, more factions in the back that are thematically tied to Python Patrol and Tiger Force. And honestly, there's a bunch of factions that ended up in that chapter that probably wouldn't have even been in Factions in Action Volume 1 because some of these are quite obscure. But because they're thematically linked with Tiger Force and Python Patrol, we actually got away with some stuff that I never thought we would include in the G.I. Joe role-playing game. One last thing before we crack open the cover, I just want to talk broadly about Tiger Force and Python Patrol. Like I said, they were both repaints. They took existing molds, which are the most expensive part of toy production, and then they just put a new color scheme on them and released them on new packaging called Tiger Force. And then later, other factions like this were introduced, Night Force, Python Patrol, Slaughter's Marauders. There are some factions that are original molds, like the Iron Grenadiers, Battle Force 2000. And then there's one that's actually a mix where um, for Sky Patrol from the neck down, they're reused molds, but they all have new heads. But yeah, Tiger Force was the first of these. And that posed a challenge for me because eventually they started figuring out a purpose for these teams. But Tiger Force was just Tiger Force. There was no justification for why... They were suddenly wearing tiger-striped fatigues. It was really just, this was transparently a marketing move by Hasbro or a money-making move by Hasbro. And it worked because Tiger Force looked amazing. The other thing is that Tiger Force, at least the first wave of them, were almost all, so with one exception, they were all characters that existed, that were featured on the animated series, even though they came out several years later. Uh, because after the G.I. Joe movie, you know, it didn't even get to bomb. The My Little Pony and Transformers movies, the animated movies from 1986, bombed so hard that the G.I. Joe movie was never even released. Sunbow, the production company, was uh, in dire straits after that, after, you know, three movies failing to make any money. So they stopped producing new episodes of G.I. Joe, and they just ran repeats of the G.I. Joe series that they had been producing from 83 to 86. So those started to get the feeling that those were the core cast, even though really the idea was that every year they would refresh the cast. It would be new characters every year. So these 82 to 85 characters or 86 characters were really starting to feel like the most important characters to G.I. Joe. And so if you were a G.I. Joe toy collector in 87, most of those characters were no longer being sold, even though in the media you were watching, or even if you were collecting the comic, comic was introducing the newer characters, but it was still kind of favoring the ones that had already been established, especially by like Larry Hama slowly started to get tired of having to introduce new characters every few months. So by the late eighties, early nineties, he wasn't even introducing all of the characters. Some years he barely introduced any of the new characters that were being uh, released until Hasbro kind of poked him and said, no, 
this comic is a marketing tool for this toy line. You have to start featuring these characters again. So yeah, the the cast of characters that was in the first wave of Tiger Force, for a lot of people, if they did not get into G.I. Joe right from the beginning, or if they had and then, you know, the thumbs broke or the O-rings broke, as was, uh, you know, as tended to happen, you didn't have a chance to get a new version of these characters until Tiger Force came out. So for a lot of people, Tiger Force Duke, Tiger Force Flint, Tiger Force Dusty, these were your main or sometimes even your only versions of these well-established characters. Then for Python Patrol, it's less so. In fact, Python Patrol made some weird choices for the character selection. Uh, it was mostly troopers, like generic troopers. In fact, it had both the Cobra Trooper and the Cobra Viper, which were both like, you know, the, the basic lowest rung characters or it was generally accepted that the Vipers replaced the troopers as the basic Cobra character, but then Python patrol brought them back, but also had both the Python patrol trooper and the Python patrol officer, which if you were not paying attention, you did not know that these were two separate toys. So in Python patrol, they had radically different color schemes, but in fact, they were so hard to tell apart that Hasbro mixed it up. And the one that was originally released as the Cobra trooper or just Cobra was released as the Python patrol officer and vice versa. And then in Classifieds, they fixed it by releasing the Python Patrol Officer, or at least the one that used the Python Patrol Officer mold. They released that as the Python Patrol Officer. And then when they released the Python Patrol Trooper, the one using the original Trooper mold that was then called the Python Patrol Officer in Python Patrol, uh, in Classified, they accidentally also called that Python Patrol Officer. So now there's two Python Patrol Officers, even though one of them is based on the Python Patrol Trooper, which, depending on your definition, was either the trooper or the officer, and the other one was based on the opposite of that. So anyway, it was mainly these troopers plus Copperhead, who was one of the lowest-ranking named characters, and in fact never showed up in the comics for some reason. Like, I said already that Larry Hammond was not using some of the later characters, but Copperhead might be the only named character from his era that just did not show up in the comic I don't know why. Like, Copperhead, I think, has a cool look. He's got a cool backstory. And he could have... Like, my my only theory is that he, as, like, a swamp trooper, like, as a swamp specialist, kind of infringed on the Dreadnoughts territory. And so, I guess Larry Hammond just decided that's too many swamp characters and he did not include Copperhead and favored the Dreadnoughts. I don't know. All I know is that he was the only character that was a named character in Python Patrol, and yet his file card did not fully establish that he was the leader of Python Patrol. And in fact, if you watch the commercial for Slaughter's Marauders, the commercial, the animated section of the commercial, has the Marauders raid a Cobra Python Patrol camp, and there's multiple Copperheads playing volleyball together. So it's even possible that when they were choosing the molds for Python Patrol, they missed the fact that Copperhead was not a trooper and that the intent was for all of Python Patrol to be troopers. But if that was the intent, that it still was not factored into any of the media. It just was a reality of Python Patrol. And we'll get into how we addressed both of those things when we get into the individual chapters. But there's just one more thing that I want to establish before we start looking at the book, starting with the cover. And that is that this was not the end of either Tiger Force or Python Patrol. Both of them 
were then expanded upon in international licensees, which fascinates me because you'd figure if you are paying Hasbro to bring characters over, you would just bring over the American Tiger Force. But no, in the UK, they had uh, they had Action Force instead of G.I. Joe, which uh, by then was just effectively, they were releasing the G.I. Joe characters uh, on an Action Force card. It had originally started as two separate toy lines, but yeah, then eventually they merged together and then it just became UK G.I. Joe. So they had, so there's a European exclusive Tiger Force and it's completely different roster. It's it's Tunnel Rat and Blizzard and Outback and Psych Out, all characters that came out after the animated series. Uh, Tunnel Rat is the only one of those characters that is in animation because he made it into the G.I. Joe animated movie. Outback did not for some reason, even though they came out the same year. So yeah, it, it is this for, I, I don't know why, but they got their own exclusive Tiger Wars characters. And then uh, other areas did the same thing. Um, what is it? Brazil, I believe has a mish, mix where it has a Tiger Force Duke and then a different character named like Felino, who is just Tiger Force Dusty. But whereas Tiger Force Dusty is like, a green shirt with yellow stripes and then a different color green pants in the United States. Felino is head to toe, the green with yellow stripes. So different name, diff slightly different color scheme. Like it, there's a lot of crossover. And then there's Marujo who is just Tiger Force Shipwreck, except he's been written as a different character. And I believe it's in Brazil where they also got Tiger Force Outback and it is the exact same Tiger Force Outback with like slight variations. I might be getting... Uh, I might be making a mistake there. Even though I'm a big Tiger Force fan, I, I get a little iffy when it comes to the details of the international stuff. But yeah, like just the fact that even within the vintage line, Tiger Force roster grew when you start looking at international releases. And so we kind of like incorporated some of those into the, the, uh, the into Ferocious Fighters. But that's not the last time that the Tiger Force roster grew because as Hasbro started releasing uh, collector-focused versions of these and the G.I. Joe Collectors Fo uh, Club also licensed some of the molds and got permission to make short-run collector sets, Tiger Force showed up as themes in both of those and Python Patrol showed up as a theme for uh, the Toys R Us, like a mainline Toys R Us exclusive. Um, I don't think the Collector Club ever did Python Patrol for some reason, or they did, but only when they started changing the body construction and it was just filling in some blanks that uh, Hasbro had not released. So by the 2000s, uh, there were new members added to the roster. So Mutt and Junkyard were added to Tiger Force. Beachhead was added to Tiger Force. Hardtop was added to Tiger Force. Hardtop is one of the two characters that came with the Defiance, so the big spaceship. And the big spaceship had two drivers. One of them drove the spaceship and one of them drove what's called, I believe, the, the, the Crawler, which is the launch pad, which also just happens to be treaded. So the, the pilot, the driver of the launch, the, the launching portion of the Defiant, he became, he became part of Tiger Force. And one of the more confusing action figures is a character called Zartan in General Hawk Disguise. So there's this three-figure pack, which includes General Hawk, Zartan, with like from the neck down, he's still that same General Hawk figure, and then a vintage version of Zartan who was painted up in Tiger Scholars, the Tiger Force colors. All three of those characters are supposed to be 
Zartan, even though one of them is just a straight up repent of General Hawk. So technically the General Hawk Tiger Force figure is not General Hawk. It's Zartan, but Zartan looks exactly like what a General Hawk Tiger Force figure would look like. Um, this really only matters if you are one of the people like an archivist at yojo.com or 3D Joe's if they ever get to that era. I just use him as Tiger Force General Hawk, but technically that is a Zartan action figure. And then there's the Toys R Us, uh, was it a six pack? So it included Tiger Force Stalker, Tiger Force Dial Tone, Tiger Force Jinx, Tiger Force Wreckage, Tiger Force Big Brawler who I cannot wait to talk more about. So that, that sounds like five. Am I forgetting a sixth member that was in that pack? Uh, I probably am. Or it might have been a five pack. In any case, Tiger Force's roster continued to grow. Python Patrol only got the one revisit in the vintage line that added new characters. That added Major Blood. It added the Heat Viper, Saw Viper, Laser Viper, Lamprey, which is a uh, an aquatic trooper. And, um, another trooper, the Rock Viper. And then finally, more recently in the classified line, most of the Python Patrol releases have been re revisiting the vintage characters, but we have seen a Python Patrol bat for the first time and uh, too late to include it in here was a Python Patrol Vipra was a character with a very complicated backstory and so uh i would have addressed it if we had the chance but um she only was announced after the book went to print she may have only been announced after the book was released so uh she would have been the python patrol ninja we don't have that but yeah python patrol continues to be mostly cobra troopers but now it has a second named character major blood and as we'll get to when we get into the Python Patrol chapter, Zorana was also kind of in the mix. I guess we'll talk about it now. So, so I talked about how Copperhead was never in the comics. This includes the Python Patrol issues, because unlike Tiger Force, actually no, Tiger Force had a couple of issues with the comic. We'll get back to that in a second. Python Patrol had a couple of issues in the main comics. So Tiger Force, they were in special missions issues which was a secondary title of mostly one-shots, although in this case they were in two back-to-back uh, -back issues. So uh, Python Patrol was actually incorporated into the main storyline. And once again, Copperhead does not appear. Copperhead is the only character from the vintage Python Patrol roster that does not get included in that storyline. Instead, Zorana of the Dreadnoughts is assigned to lead that group we have yet to have a Zorana Python Patrol action figure. And normally I say that our source material is the action figure line, and then we will incorporate elements from the adaptations of the action figure line, so the animated series and the comic book, but we will only treat what's been established in the toy line as canon. Well, not only, but we will primarily treat the toy line as canon. But now because we had Major Blood and Copperhead as the two named characters in the Python Patrol, I thought it would be fun if we threw Zarana in the mix and we said that there was this struggle for the leadership of trying to figure out who was actually in charge of Python Patrol. Although we did draw from the animated series that used Python Patrol because even though Tiger Force missed the chance to be in animation other than in the commercials for the toys, by the time Python Patrol came out, another animation company, Deke, 
who uh, was well known for like Inspector Gadget and people who I've seen a Deke episode remember that like Deke at the end. So Deke had taken over the G.I. Joe license for the animated series and actually had even continued the continuity of the Sundo animated series. And in the style of the Sunbow animated series, they launched with a five-part miniseries. In this case, it was Slaughter's Marauders versus Python Patrol. And so they they established Python Patrol as a major part of Cobra. In fact, the majority of Cobra that we see in that episode are Python Patrol characters. But it's also established that Python Patrol is kind of Cobra Commander's personal squad of Cobras. And the miniseries starts by cleaning up the whole... Cobra Commander Serpentor thing. So the first episode has uh, the Baroness and Nagahide for some reason. Well, because he was the only Dreadnought that was out at the time. So they work together to find the Cobra Commander who had turned into a snake at the end of the animated movie. That was the status of Cobra Commander when last we saw him in animation. Old snake notwithstanding. And so the new miniseries aims to reverse that. So she mutates him into a, you know, a proper snake dude, not Citizen of Cobra Law, Cobra Commander anymore, and not the mutated Citizen of Cobra Law that, he, again, we saw in the animated movie. He's now snake-like humanoid. Then he puts on the battle armor, which was not even available on stores anymore, or if it was, it was at the tail end of that toy's run. But again, they they were continuing the Sunbow continuity and Cobra Commander was such an important part of it that they decided that they would bring Cobra Commander back as the main antagonist of the series. So yeah, he puts on the armor, he takes care of Serpentor and now Cobra and, and now Python Patrol are the Cobra operatives that Cobra Commander trusts. Conversely, Tiger Force did not appear in the animated series, like I said. They appeared in two issues of Special Missions and there is never an explanation, no in-media explanation of why Tiger Force exists. Python Patrol, they not only are they explained as Cobra Commander's, you know, the, the, the operatives he trusts, but it's also established that they have, they are Pythonizing their uniforms and vehicles so that they are invisible to radar. So this is some kind of strike team, this is some kind of infiltration squad. But again, Tiger Force, nothing. There is no justification for Tiger Force. I guess because it was so early on in this idea that they would be repainting and reissuing characters that they either didn't realize how popular Tiger Force would be or as they found new themes for these subgroups, they realized that they also had to find a purpose for them. So yeah, so Tiger Force, in what little media it had, it was just Duke and a squad are in Tiger Force fatigues for these issues for some reason. So that was my main challenge. Like I, I was looking forward to the challenge because I'm a huge Tiger Force fan. I have probably talked about how I have very few, I have considered getting very few tattoos in my life. I have no tattoos right now, but one of them that I always thought I would get would be a Tiger Force logo right on my left arm. So I am as dedicated as I am to G.I. Joe, and I know I said something similar with Sergeant Slaughter, that I am a G.I. Joe fan and I'm a Sergeant Slaughter fan. While I'm lumping on top of that, I am a Tiger Force fan. So having a getting to work on a chapter fully dedicated to Tiger Force was really exciting for me. Before we get to that, we will get to the cover. Let's, let's talk about Factions in Action. Volume 1, Ferocious Fighters, first of all. When I'm breaking down these books that I worked on, I usually like to start on the cover. Let's do that here. 
if you only know the vintage version of Python Patrol, you might be curious why this character in the green and yellow fatigues, you probably recognize as Jinx. But then again, because she's hanging on to Flint, because she uh, she has the short brown hair, you might think, is that Tiger Force Lady J? No, no, the dragon and the staff should give it away. That's Tiger Force Jinx, who was in that Toys R Us six-pack or five-pack. And then she's attacking a Python Patrol Heat Viper, who, uh, in my original sketch, I actually sketched out this art. I've shared it. And I, I was sharing it thinking like, hey, look how cool this is. And people thought I was sharing it like, hey, look how, how bad of an artist I am, which I fully admit I am a terrible artist. Uh, I just didn't get the reaction I thought I would get when I shared that art. So yeah, uh, in the original art that I had drawn, that was a regular Python Viper. Oh yeah, that's another thing. I will be saying things like Python Cobra Viper, Cobra Python Viper, and it, it will sound like I am just listing a bunch of snakes, but that's just because Cobra may be named after Cobras, but it has a broad snake theme. And so a lot of those words are just going to be thrown around. A couple of things that are curious about this cover, though, is that the artist chose to, or the the, uh, the colorist chose to give Copperhead his regular look instead of his Python Patrol look. And something similar happened with the Slaughter's Marauders in the uh, Sergeant Slaughter Limited Edition accessory pack. For whatever reason, all of the art or most of the art has them in their traditional colors. Every now and then they're featured in their Slaughter's Marauders color. I had no input into the art in that book. I had some input in... Actually, no, I, I had a decent amount of input into the art in this one. Um, but I never dictated the exact color. As I've worked on other books and have uh, had more input into the art, I've provided more links to the, uh, the source material. But yeah, in this case, um, I didn't specify that it had to be Python Patrol Copperhead. It's regular Copperhead. And if you remember when this was first announced at a Renegade Con... Jinx was actually in her red fatigues in the art that was profiled. And then at some point she was changed to her Tiger Force fatigues, which I prefer just because of the, you know, the nature of the book. We've got plenty of opportunities to present Jinx in her red fatigues. And actually Jinx in her red fatigues is a little confusing because the red ninjas are an adversary of G.I. Joe and Jinx is just a red ninja on G.I. Joe which I think might be why in the animated, or not in animated movie, in the live action movie that features Jinx, she was in black and yellow fatigue, similar to her Sigma-6 look. I think Hasbro might be moving away from Jinx in red, although they've announced that there's going to be a Jinx classified figure, so maybe they're going to reverse that. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, so we did end up with Jinx in her Tiger Force look, but the Flint colors are especially interesting because that's not his Tiger Force look, and it is also not his version one look. That's Flint's animated series look. So the animated series changed Flint's look. It he His action figure comes with a black shirt. So it's possible that because black doesn't animate well, or and it, it, it often a character that is black as an action figure or like the color is intended to be black, they will then be redone in blue. Like Snake Eyes is a shade of blue, almost a shade of purple sometimes in the animated series. And uh, Flint, they gave a completely different color scheme to. They gave him a gray beret instead of uh, he's got a black beret and a black shirt on his action figure on his yeah on his action figure and then his pants are green green and brown camouflage more or less the same so yeah it's it's just the green shirt is a different look for Flint and the gray beret really gives away that this is specifically Tiger Force Flint. The other thing I will mention about the cover is of course the title the. <laughs> 
this is just one of those things that in, in the production of a book, decisions have to be made. And it was questioned the whole time whether this would be Factions in Action Volume 1, colon, Ferocious Fighters, or if this would be Ferocious Fighters, colon, Factions in Action Volume 1. I go back and forth between how I refer to it. It is officially Ferocious Fighters, colon, Factions in Action Volume 1. The main thing I'm going to try and avoid doing is calling it just Factions in Action, because as the Volume 1 implies, we hope to have more Factions in Action in the future, and by then we will. it'll be easier to remember to call them by not their subtitle, because it actually comes first, so by the, the individual volume's specific title. So this is just one in who knows a long line of uh, potential Factions in Actions. So this book is Ferocious Fighters more than it is Factions in Action. Crack it open and we go to chapter one. This was also a challenge about what to put into chapter one and how much to go into the details. So like it, it starts with a little bit of sizzle to get you into the book. But then this whole book, it, it's called Factions in Action and Factions are a mechanic of Essence 20. But they are not a mechanic that was introduced in the core rulebook. They right now, or before this book came out, only existed in the Field Guide Taction and Adventure. Which is not a G.I. Joe book. It's an Essence 20 book. And so we cannot assume that a G.I. Joe fan or uh, someone who is collecting the G.I. Joe role-playing game, we cannot assume that they have that book, even though I highly recommend it. It also appears in the Sergeant Slaughter Limited Edition Accessory Pack, but that's limited edition. That will go out of print before anything else from Essence 20. So again, we cannot assume that a player has access to it. And if that goes out of print, then suddenly, if we did not include the factions rules again in here, then people would not have any access to it unless they went outside of the G.I. Joe line. Except that Cobra does explain how to change from G.I. Joe faction, to change your role from the G.I. Joe faction to the Cobra faction, but it's brisk. It just lightly touches on the fact that this is a change you are making. It does not go nearly as in-depth as it does here. And then the other thing is that this introduces the contact rules, which again, we've got contact rules in the field guide. We've got contact rules in Sergeant Slaughter. And we do have contact rules in Cobra Codex. But to assume that people playing in a G.I. Joe campaign will have picked up Cobra Codex, even though it really spells itself out as, yes, this is... G.I. Joe compatible, but the main focus of this book is to get in the head of Cobra. Like, that is probably a book that a lot of players would think to skip if they don't want just all the G.I. Joe rules. Like, if you could only buy the core rule book and two other books, it I don't think it's a safe assumption that Cobra Codex will be the other book along with Ferocious Fighters. So, to include a lot of things like contact rules and faction rules, we needed to reprint those rules. And whether we have to reprint them again and again every single time they come up, or if we can say, okay, this is like a firmly G.I. Joe-focused book. By now, you have four different opportunities to get these rules. So from now on, we can safely assume you have one of those books, even though none of the four rules rule books we're talking about are the core rule book for the G.I. Joe line. That's something that's, you know, the book after this one, we will have to figure out. But for this one, it was decided it's only fair to include the changing faction rules and the summoner summoning contact rules from, you know, originally the field guide to action and adventure. 
And just for fun, because we've got this chapter that is just broadly about the contact and uh, uh, faction rules, I decided to throw in some broad con broad faction and contact options. So we've got two new influences, multifaceted, which is for a character that is good with a lot of factions, and networker, which is a character that is good with a lot of contacts, and then a bunch of general perks that are, again, about either your interacting with the faction rules or interacting with a lot of contacts. And that's it for chapter one. It is a short chapter. It is mostly purpose-driven, but it does also include some fun options. And that brings us to chapter two, Tiger Force. Or specifically, it's called G.I. Joe's Tiger Force for a couple of reasons. One is that so that we can have the factions in alphabetical order. So instead of it, oh no, wait, no, that wouldn't work because Cobra still comes before G.I. Joe. No, I think it was just to make it clear that this is a G.I. Joe faction and not just another group in the, the fight between G.I. Joe and Cobra. So the art begins with a bunch of obscure characters. There's a couple of reasons for this. So uh, uh, as far as obscure characters go, you've got Lifeline, who is probably the most recognizable of them. Then in the pilot seat of this moccasin, you've got Tripwire. Behind him, you've got a character that was released as Sky Striker, and there's a story there. There is only one character in Tiger Force that is a new character. It is a character named Sky Striker, which you might recognize as the name of one of the most recognizable G.I. Joe vehicles in the line. And the other thing is that Sky Striker, the name for this Joe, has nothing to do with Tiger Force. So there is nothing really that stands out about this guy other than the fact that he is the only exclusive to Tiger Force character. Now, when Tiger Force was first pitched, this was another thing that in my, like, as I became more of a fan, like not just a collector, but someone who was really learning about G.I. Joe, I found out that the Tiger Force that we got was not the original characters that we were pitched. Some of them were, but one of them that we were pitched was a Firefly repaint, a G.I. Joe demolitions expert called Sabretooth. And unlike Sky Striker, Sabretooth is a very Tiger-related name. So you can see how, you know, that guy fits in as the only Tiger Force exclusive character and eventually, oh, yes, when I was talking about whether it was a five-pack or a six-pack, the one character I was forgetting was Wreckage, which is a Firefly repaint that is an homage to Sabretooth. I think the reason that they didn't go with the Sabretooth name is that when they had originally pitched in the late 80s, you know, the <coughs> the Marvel character Sabretooth was, I think he was only a couple of years old and was definitely not one of the few Marvel characters that was in line to get an action figure at the time. Whereas by the early 2000s, after Toy Biz just released every single Marvel character they could get their hands on, uh, Sabretooth had had multiple action figures, and so the name Sabretooth could only be applied to the X-Men toys. And at the time, Hasbro also was having a lot of trouble keeping track of what names they owned and how to keep hold of them, which is why some characters were getting replaced and renamed. Or the, um, like, Scarlet for a while was Agent Scarlet, or sometimes she'll be... Shauna, Scarlet, O'Hara, or O'Hare. Anyway, one of the two. Because, like, the name on a toy package is... You have to own the name of the toy that you are putting on the package. So, anyway, um, speaking of renaming, Sky Striker 
is only referenced a couple of times in the text, but I don't call him Sky Striker. I call him Sky Saber. And I got a little bold with this. I, I, when I was writing it, I presented my argument that Sky Striker is a terrible name for G.I. Joe and Sky Striker, the G.I. Joe character is nothing. He is one of the most meaningless characters. Nobody cares about this guy, even though I think he is a pretty cool action figure. So from the neck down, he's wild weasel. And then he's got Thunder's head and Thunder's helmet. But the color scheme really changes it so he's not recognizable as either of those characters. Maybe a little more Thunder than he is as Wild Weasel. But in any case, Thunder's not exactly a, a well-known character. So I suggested that we call him Sky Saber in the text. As both like making him a little bit more Tiger Force related and as a nod to Sabretooth who never got made. And uh, I asked Renegade if they can ask Hasbro. Hasbro approved, probably because they were like, nobody cares. That's fine. Or maybe you got somebody who absolutely really cared and was also super excited about the idea that we could rename this character just something better. So in any case, yeah, he made it into there. And then uh, looking at the art once again, we've got Big Brawler is painting the moccasin. Let's take a second to appreciate the absurdity of Big Brawler. So I'm talking about those repaint lines and the first couple of waves of those repaints it's purely existing characters except for vipra actually funny enough the original vipra and then a couple of years into it they actually started hasbro did started creating characters uh, that were from the neck down repaints but had brand new head sculpts and one of them was big brawler who uh from the neck down the first big brawler i believe yeah from the neck down the first big brawler was outback and then the new head just looked like a, a dark-haired uh, uh, Outback with a thinning hairline. But his file card, which was not written by Larry Hama, his file card is the worst. He just talks about how he's the best at everything. He was a former like football player and wrestler, and he's just so awesome. And so on the G.I. Joe message board that I was on at the time, Joe Customs, we just started making fun of like we would call things brawling and we would say big brawler is just so easy. He's this big brawler. He brawls so big. He's the biggest brawler there is like, we would just make these absurd sentences that were supposed to make fun of the character. And then they endeared the character to us. And so suddenly he became like a mascot for the site. And somehow big brawler just kept showing up. So he was the only one of those uh, new head sculpt, new characters that came out that got a second character, a second mold, which in this case was, it was Salvo from the neck down and low light version two, which was a bearded head sculpt uh, from the head up. And he had a red beard. So suddenly it's like, well, the first one dressed like Outback. Now the second one's dying his hair like Outback. And then they eventually re-released that six pack with a slightly different colors, um, skin tone for all of the characters except for jinx and they also changed big brawler's hair from red to black like the original big brawler so he didn't look like outback i think he was supposed to be an homage to the uk outback which was kind of the most famous of those uh, european exclusive tiger force figures and then he also got released as they had changed the form factor of the toys to what is kind of called the new sculpt era at the time so Big Brawler showed up as a new sculpt figure in his Tiger Force outfit. And then he was also released as like a 12-inch character in like this, you know, 12-inch revival line, but was adapting the G.I. Joe characters. And then the wildest of all 
was that there was this company called Fun School in India who was licensing the molds from Hasbro, and they decided to make a big brawler, and their big brawler had Ambush's head. So once again, Big Brawler keeps stealing the looks of his fellow Joes. But wildest of all is that this Big Brawler came with a big old sword, like a scimitar, for some reason, even though he's like a jungle specialist. I guess maybe it was supposed to be a machete. I don't know. It was just like, we could not believe that this character that we just, you know, for a month was a character that we talked about a lot and then should have disappeared, should have never been remembered, should have been lost like Crossfire and the other original characters that came out in that time. But no, Big Brother just kept coming back and back. And so the fact that I could get art made in an officially licensed G.I. Joe book of Big Brother blows my mind. Like of all of the things that I have gotten to adapt from the G.I. Joe toy line into a, a Renegade product, the fact that this is one of them and it fits like, Big Brawler just makes sense as one of the characters to include here, especially because of the way that we handled the threat stat blocks. Um, so like in Cobra Codex, instead of doing a lot of specific G.I. Joe named stat blocks, we decided to do broad archetypal stat blocks for the Joes so that there was a little more flexibility. And we needed a another hand-to-hand uh, combatant to go along with Jinx. And so Big Brawler had to be bumped up in significance by sharing this stat block because no other threat stat block was just dedicated to a single character within Tiger Force and all of them served like an archetypal function of the types of threat you would want. So a hand-to-hand combatant is one of them. And so along with Jinx, you know, a trained Arashikage ninja, Brawler is fulfilling his destiny as the biggest brawler who brawls better than them all. Bigger than them all, of course. He doesn't brawl. He's not the best brawler. He's the biggest brawler. And yeah, so he, he made it into this book. But um, the reason that we went with four of the lesser-known characters for the art in this page is because I was saying that we would, could reuse existing art for uh, just recolored. Well, most of the existing art would be the more famous characters. And so if we were going to commission original art, it should be the characters we didn't already have other art that we can use for them. All right, Claws Out, the history of Tiger Force. The page one was the biggest challenge to write because I had to make sense of Tiger Force. Tiger Force had multiple different officers, multiple different environment specialists from a bunch of different environments. The team didn't make sense and Hasbro made no effort to justify it. It really was just, here's a bunch of popular characters in a cool color scheme. Similarly, Tiger Force had a bunch of vehicles. They were all repaints. And most of them were Cobra vehicles that were repainted as Joe vehicles. I'm not sure if it was just because they chose the coolest ones or if because the Cobra vehicles had like a a harder edge, which fit Tiger Force better than G.I. Joe. Um, But again, it was most of them. So not all of the Tiger Force vehicles were repainted Cobra vehicles. So I had to explain why G.I. Joe was using Cobra vehicles but also why they were reusing some of their own vehicles. And especially one of the only vehicles in the G.I. Joe classified line is a is the, the Ram, the like, G.I. Joe vehicle with the Gatling gun sidecar. And they repainted it and made a Tiger Force Ram. So I really wanted to include the Ram because it was the newest addition to Tiger Force from the toy line. But that meant that there was one more G.I. Joe-based vehicle amongst a bunch of repurposed Cobra vehicles. So... 
I came up with the idea that Tiger Force goes on these long, limited resource deployments and that they have special permission to repurpose Cobra vehicles that they capture, which is normally not allowed because Cobra creates their, their technology without ethical oversight. And so it would be wrong to take advantage of that. You know, it would be wrong for the good guys to use these ill-begotten vehicles. But because Tiger Force is so trusted, they know that they can use these these, uh, this, this equipment against Cobra, teach them a lesson, you know, give them a taste of their own medicine, and only for these special Tiger Force missions. And by repainting them with the Tiger Force color scheme, that's like proving that this is, that they have special permission to do this. And again, this is not lore from anything. I had to come up with this on my own. And I was pretty happy with like just looking at all of the facts about Tiger Force that we knew and then just trying to explain, but why? And then going through it, there's a pretty standard format for the options that you're going to get. You're going to get the faction, faction rules. And because we just established that the reuse of equipment is kind of Tiger Force's thing, that's its big thing here is that uh, you get Creature of Habit, which when you finish a mission, you get to, instead of requisitioning new equipment, you can just say, I want to keep my old equipment, which is a, another solution to the people that don't like the requisition phase. Here's an option for you. If you are totally against the requisition phase, you can take the faction that lets you skip it completely. Uh, then there's a new influence that the boon, the, the the perk, is gaining access to the faction. That way you can either gain access to it through uh, like meeting certain requirements, or you can just take this influence. I do That was a trick that I learned to do in uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Like that's That was how you got into Slaughter's Marauders. I think it's a nice clean way of giving you faction access. So then we've got a new focus in the case of the... Tiger Force, you get a new Ranger focus option, which makes sense. There's a whole bunch of Rangers in Tiger Force. And so it's the Peacekeeper, which is totally unlike any of the other uh, Ranger focus options that are out in the game so far. And I I like it a lot. The idea of a Diplomat uh, Ranger was not something that I had originally envisioned when I, when I designed the class originally for the core rulebook. And I don't even think when I set out and outlined this book, I think the idea that, like, I, I knew we would have a ranger focus option, but I think specifically the Peacekeeper theme came about after I wrote the idea that Tiger Force, they're all especially trusted. And the fact that they were going on these long-term remote deployments meant that they would probably be interacting with a lot of the locals and having a specialist dealing with the locals and really outlining that's like, these guys are good guys. They know that they're invading somebody else's space and they are going to do that and inadvisively as possible. Unless you're Cobra, then you are just tricking the locals. Just I Mainly, I wrote this primarily as this is a good guy option, but because the game has the option to play either as heroes or villains and all options are kind of written with the eye that there's a, a wicked bend and a, and a positive bend to them, I decided to throw in a little bit of stuff, including deception, because otherwise this would have been a purely persuasion-based focus option. Uh, then we got the contacts. So this is just a great way to bring some of the flavor of these characters from the file cards and from the media and explore it here. And all of these contacts specifically have Tiger Force in their name. So you know this isn't your only version of Duke, kind of like we already saw three versions of Sergeant Slaughter. 
So we've already set the precedence that just because this version of Duke follows the rules doesn't mean that this is the only Duke you'll ever get. Duke specifically is a character you'll probably see show up uh, with a contact before all the others or, you know, actually Lifeline will show up again too. Uh, yeah, so we get Duke, Dusty, Frostbite, Lifeline. I, oh, uh, Jinx, Outback, Roadblock. I don't remember exactly. Oh, and Wild Bill. Uh, oh, Wild Bill has, he was one of those originally going to be part of Tiger Force and then they changed the roster. Uh, that's that's how we made the cut here. And there have been a couple of Tiger Force action figures released since then in homage to the fact that he was part of the original roster. Um yeah, I don't remember exactly how I landed on these being the characters that got contacts. Uh, I think it might have just been, it's, there's a nice variety of the mechanics between all of them. And then similarly, when we get to the threats, most of these are paying direct tribute to at least a couple of the Joes in Tiger Force. And these are almost all higher threat level than the generic Joes from the Cobra Codex. My thinking was that these would then complement those characters. So when you're looking for boss level encounters for your Cobra campaigns, these stat blocks are probably some of the ideal ones to use. Uh, there is of course one threat stat block in this section that does not follow that formula. And that is the tiger. And that is just straight up a tiger I wanted to stat, block, uh, stat out a tiger. I thought a tiger would be useful for multiple campaigns. You know, just animals in general are, are pretty handy to have, especially because we have the animal handling skill. So most adventures I do like to throw in something involving an animal so that if you have ranks in the animal handling skill, you've got your moment to shine. And so throwing together an animal stat block and it's a tiger, which is appropriate for Tiger Force. And in fact, if you watch the original animated sections of the Tiger Force commercial, it ends with a tiger jumping out of the jungle onto the tiger cat and jumping at the screen. And then it becomes the, the tiger in the logo. So in my mind, this stat block is that tiger specifically. Yeah, so we have the environment specialist, the heavy hitter. I tried to get a little more fun with some of the names than the ones that were in the Cobra Codex. Although I take that back, the ones in Cobra Codex are kind of cool too like Firebrand. Uh, we have the Tiger Force leader, which represents Duke, Flint. Uh, oh, yeah, it also mentions Psych Out, Stalker, even General Hawk. Tiger Force pilot to represent uh, anyone that is specialized in any of the many Tiger Force vehicles. The safeguard is the specialists that are specifically there to help you, which is Tripwire and Lifeline for the most part. Uh, I think Wreckage kind of falls under there. Skirmishers are the melee combatants. Then we get to Tiger Force vehicles. So we get the Tiger Force trait of Tiger Stripes, which really was just to justify why these uh, vehicles all look like that. And it ties into the faction. The faction, uh, if you are a Tiger Force faction member and you are assigned a vehicle during the requisition or the equipment assignment and requisition phase, then you automatically add the Tiger Stripes trait to it, which gives it a little bit of a bump. And considering you needed this as your faction benefit, that seemed like a fair trade-off. So about the vehicles in this section, all of them have appeared elsewhere. I believe, yeah, every single one of these is a, just like they were repainted vehicles. They are all something that you've established somewhere else. So I made sure that none of them are identical stat blocks. All of them are either up a threat level or down a threat level. 
They have a couple of new uh, uh, perks and attacks thrown in. And also, I didn't realize this until I was doing this, but if anyone's ever curious why the vehicle stat block attacks are so much more flavorful than any of the other attacks that I write, it's because I draw them directly from the blueprints that came with the vehicles. And uh, the blueprint designers really went all out giving fun names to them. And I didn't realize this, but they actually renamed a lot of the uh, weapons from uh, the, the Tiger Force repaint. So I got to uh, learn that and add that to the stat blocks. And also, because something that's changed between when I was originally running stat blocks and these stat blocks is that now we're a lot more formal about the word counts for different options. And so because vehicles needed to be a certain word count, but threat stat blocks are so formalized one of the only areas that I had some wiggle room if I needed to add some more words to a stat block is in the description. And so this descriptions are longer than normal. And they also tell a story. And my favorite story is the tiger paw. And it talks about how tiger force missions start with ferret fishing because the tiger paws are repaint of the cobra ferret. And so, yeah, the mission starts with just grabbing a couple of these because they are super useful to getting around. They're, they're lighter. They, they'll handle any terrain. And then mechanically, my favorite update is the Tiger Ram because it has the prowl mode and the attack mode. And so it lets you choose whether you are going to be going in stealth or if you're going to be revving the engine like the roar of a tiger and then you get to make an intimidate check. I, I thought this was a very characterful way of separating it from the standard Ram. Oh, and then the Tiger Rat, I guess I could say, it is one of the ones that... I lowered its threat level for a couple of reasons. So I took out a lot of the AI, but it's also because this is more likely to be used by players, whereas the the, the Rattler that the Tiger Rat is based on, that's more likely to be an NPC vehicle. I figured that a lower threat level meant that you could introduce it a little bit earlier in the campaign, and it just makes the overall threat level of the party uh, easier to manage. Then finally, we got a couple of new equipment options and a couple of Tiger Force-specific general perks. And then we end with a little bit of advice on how to incorporate Tiger Force in your campaign. And this is one of those sections that as I'm writing it, I'm convincing myself that this is the best idea. Like the idea that instead of having this gigantic roster of characters, you can just focus on a small group of NPCs that you get really good at playing. And you can like cherry pick a couple of your favorite characters. And this helps keep the focus on the players. Yeah, that, that seems like a great way to run a campaign. So if you are easing into G.I. Joe and you don't know all the lore and you don't want to have hundreds of characters and all those vehicles at your disposal, a Tiger Force campaign is actually a much logistically lighter load. And on that note, that's it for Tiger Force. Moving on to Python Patrol, and I just want to start by talking about this awesome piece of art. So Python Patrol's whole shtick is that they are, uh, the Pythonization is not like Tiger Force where it's just aesthetic. The Pythonization process actually gives them the ambush abilities of a Python, a ball Python, which is an ambush predator, but it doesn't actually have any kind of radar deflection, but it doesn't matter. All you need to know is that Python Patrol is a stealth strike team within Cobra. And the color scheme that they wear makes them invisible to radar. It, The toys actually say it deflects radar, 
which my friend, my friend Charles loves to rant about the fact that that's how radar works. If something is deflecting radar, it means that the radar is pinging it and seeing it. So what it would actually be is radar absorbing would be invisible to radar. So that is what, that is how we phrased it here. It's one of those times where they just got it so 100% wrong that we either had to lead into it and just code embrace the wrong terminology or we have to correct it. And even though it's an adaptation, it's not really our place to correct the source material. Like this is so wrong. This is just not how radar works. So yes, they have the radar absorbing paint, which is why here we've got bomb strike. She's in a radar tower. You could see a radar over her shoulder with zero blips on it as three Python conquests come flying towards it. And that missile is coming right at bomb strike and, you know, she's a hero. So somehow she will get out of this. But anyone in this situation would realistically be doomed. So, yeah, the fact that we actually had something to hang our mechanical, like a theme to hang our mechanics onto, made the Python Patrol section a little bit easier than the Tiger Force section. At least, well, the Tiger Force gave us more creative freedom once we figured out just what Tiger Force is and why it exists. Whereas Python Patrol, luckily, we went into it knowing what Python Patrol is and why it exists. And in fact, Python Patrol, unlike Tiger Force, had a storyline in the main comic book and even appeared in animation. In fact, it appeared prominently in animation. So for those who don't know, there was originally Sunbow. They produced what's more, what's better remembered and more known as the Jojo animated series. But then Deke took over... I, I'm I'm retreading this ground. So yeah, so the original opener of the Deke animated series explained how Cobra Commander was back, and the first thing he did was create Python Patrol as a counter to Sergeant Slaughter and Slaughter's Marauders. And that is one of the things, these sub-teams, they kind of um, hopscotched each other, or they leapfrogged each other, in that Tiger Force just existed, and then Python Patrol came out, and it was branded as the... Uh, Cobra's counter to Tiger Force and then Slaughter's Marauders came out and they were the counter to Python Patrol. That's not how it played out in the animation, but still, like, every time a new faction came out, the branding all put it as the rival to the previous faction. So, with that theme in mind, we were able to write our influence, Subtle Snake, which is about, you know, you prove that regardless of what division you are in, you are sneaky and therefore you're a good fit for Python Patrol because that means that you can be the sneaky heavy weapons trooper um, instead of just being a full commando squad. It is a combination of commandos and other functions within Cobra, which, again, the majority of toys that came out for Python Patrol were troop builders, and so we were really pushing the idea that you were still mostly troopers with a couple of select named characters. Oh, one of those named characters is an, uh, one of the examples in the Subtle Snake Influence is Lightning. So Lightning is one of two international Python Patrol characters. Um, I think it was Argentina did these repaints where they repainted Ripcord and Airborne. And they actually made really cool, like they, they look great. They fit in perfectly alongside the rest of Python Patrol even though both of those characters are Joes and like they still have their unmasked faces. Uh, but yeah, just being from the neck down Python Patrol colors really helps them stand out. And I believe Lightning is the airborne um, repaint. The other thing is that they weren't released with English names. They were released with Spanish names or, or 
Portuguese name, something, uh, whatever was, you know, appropriate for the region. And so uh, Lightning is the English translation of, I believe, the Airborne Repaint. So we didn't do much with them. Oh, and then Trigger, which is the example in the Force Recon Infantry Focus, which we'll get to in a second. Trigger was the other one. And I think Trigger is the... Oh, maybe I've got them backwards. In any case, it's Trigger and Lightning were the two Python Patrol uh, international figures. The Oh, I guess I should say, so this chapter was written by all three authors on the book. So Tiger Force was written by me, so was chapter one. But then this chapter was written by myself, by Michael Bramnick, and by uh, Brian Borgman. Michael Bramnick mostly did mostly worked on the next chapter, but he did work on the Force Recon influence, which I think is a really strong, or sorry, not influence, but focus option. So going into this chapter, I have a list of all of the roles in the G.I. Joe role-playing game and how many focus options they have for each. And because the uh, Sergeant Slaughter box set introduced a Vanguard, an officer, and a renegade focus option, that means that now it's kind of lopsided towards those. So I want to make sure that we give all the other roles another focus option before we give them, before we give those three roles another one, unless we put out a book with everyone gets a focus option. Just, I, I never want a, uh, a role to be more than one focus option ahead of the other ones. And so uh, we did the Ranger in the Tiger Force section, which left us with three roles that we could still work on. The Technician, Infantry, Commando. And it really came down to, in this chapter, are we going to do Infantry and make a sneaky version of the Infantry, or are we going to do Commando and figure out some niche within it? And that was kind of the thing. We already knew what we would, which direction we would go with an Infantry focus, that's tied to Python Patrol, we would make it the sneaky infantry focus, whereas the commando makes sense thematically up front, but then a focus within the commando, like where do we go from there? Because we already have the infiltrator focus, which is the extra sneaky commando. So we didn't want an extra, extra sneaky. We didn't want a differently sneaky commando. So that's where we landed on the infantry focus for, uh, for Python Patrol. Plus the fact that, again, Python Patrol is full of mostly infantry, types of infantry, so it, again, makes sense as a tie-in to the toy line. But Force Recon, just like from the name, every thematic choice, every mechanic, it really does make this feel like you are not as sneaky as a commando, but you are as sneaky as infantry can get. Now, there is one thing I should point out is that the infantry level progression on the table 3-2, you're going to have to ignore that and just use the standard one for infantry because infantry is an exception something I've kind of grown to wish we hadn't done. But yeah, uh, all of the roles in the core rulebook have the same progression for when they get their focus perks, except for infantry. They still get the same number of focus perks. They just get them at a different cadence. And this, unfortunately, has the standard cadence instead of the infantry-specific cadence. So ignore that. Just look up the infantry, and whenever the infantry says you get uh, a focus option, or sorry, a focus perk, then just go down your chart and see what the next one is. After that, we've got a new location, and locations are something that I really only want to put in if we really need them. I don't know how useful people find the locations. I like them when they are fun to read, but I personally am not one that is going to pull on, draw on these for inspiration for an adventure, but it's also just not the kind of thing that I will ever need. And so, but that means that I am not the target audience for 
locations. In fact, if you're listening to this, let me know if you use the locations, if you appreciate them, because even if you don't use them, you might still find them fun to read because they do have plot hooks. They do have different details and they do let us explore the world of G.I. Joe, which is the main reason we are putting out these books. One thing I will say I appreciate is that in the art for the the temple, it is it shows them scanning. Oh, sorry, it shows them. It shows a Crimson Guard and a Televiper, both in their Crimson Guard outfits. No, sorry, both in their Python Patrol outfits, scanning a Python on a table, and then it is 3D printing the Python scale pattern onto this ASP. What's great is that this is taken directly from the commercial for Python Patrol, right down to the fact that there was an animation error or just a mistake where the Crimson Guard has an open mouth, kind of like a Batman mask, whereas normally that's supposed to be covered up with like a great, almost like a Darth Vader mask. And so having that error recreated here, either as an intentional homage or by somebody that just looked up the source material and didn't realize that was a mistake. I don't know how this ended up like this, but I love that it is like this. And I'm not just making an excuse for an error. Like people remember me talking about the errors in Cobra Codex. I wish they didn't happen. Sometimes they do. And sometimes serendipitously it works. Uh, going from there, we got a lot of Python Patrol contacts and Python Patrol threat stat blocks because we don't know if you're going into this needing this Python Patrol chapter for your Cobra campaign or for your G.I. Joe or whatever campaign, your fight against Cobra campaign. And so mechanically, this is a good way of representing those characters, but in a way that is useful regardless of how you need them. And of course, all of them could be reskinned so that they could. this could be some kind of a G.I. Joe infiltration squad or some kind of G.I. Joe allies. Battle Android Trooper actually appears in both of them for a number of reasons. One of them is that they did release Battle Android Trooper action figure, a Python Patrol version, in the classified line. So kind of like the Ram, the Tiger Ram, the uh, Python Patrol Bat is the latest, sort of, the latest from Hasbro inductee into Python Patrol, and therefore it felt important to include them in there. But then on top of that, bats are popular, and unfortunately, them being threat level 5 means they are one of the higher threat level basic troopers. Like, not even a specialized trooper, just you've got your Vipers, you've got your troopers, then you've got your Battle Android troopers. And the Battle Android troopers are one of the highest threat level ones. So jumping ahead to the Python Patrol bat uh, threat stat block, this has been stripped down to make it less noisy so that it is easy to uh, easier to infiltrate with which means now it's threat level three. So if you are just looking for a lower threat level bat, you can ignore the fact that this is the Python Patrol bat, and now you've got a, a lower threat level bat. I, I find we do those things more often than you might realize. Like I always look when I'm including these stat blocks, look at a different angle that you can approach it and different ways that you might need these mechanics or you might need this purpose, but you need different mechanics. So anytime we get a chance to reintroduce a similar uh, concept. I like to explore and see what is the most useful way to do that. And I do like the idea of a battle Android trooper as a contact. And you see that the, one of the ways you can get it is if you sneak in and you reprogram it and it becomes your pet battle Android trooper. Uh, got the Crimson Guard, the Lamprey, the Laser Viper. A lot of these are the ones that we didn't also do as threat tap blocks, although some of them are both. So like the Laser Viper, Laser Viper to me was made to be a contact because if you look at the file card and this happens anytime there is a laser trooper larry hammer seems to hate the idea of the fictionalized version of the laser trooper where they're just you know like a blaster trooper like a star wars character he 
really is stuck on the idea that a laser trooper is somebody who highlights a target. This is a gigantic laser pointer, which makes it an excellent theme to tackle for a contact because that is they are there to help you hit your targets from further away. And then after we do so, oh, and the televiper, same thing. That is a very useful uh, person to accompany you on a mission. That's why that one made the cut. Otherwise, a lot of the Python Patrol characters or uh, troop types, you can see a non-Python Patrol version of them in Cobra Codex. We didn't want to be too redundant there. But we do get to, after the troopers, we get to this who's in charge section. And as I talked about, the leader of Python Patrol is vague. In the animated series, when they showed up, the leader was Cobra Commander, but he was not Python. He was not wearing a Python Patrol uniform. He was just the non-Python leader of the Python Patrol. And Copperhead was there, but he was not treated like a leader. In the comics, Copperhead was just not included. Larry Hama never wrote Copperhead into the comic. I don't know why. But he is the only non-trooper from the original wave of Python Patrol characters. And then when they had that second Toys R Us pack that came out, Major Blood was the only non-trooper character that was put in there. And Major Blood makes much more sense as a leader of Python Patrol. He is the kind of character that you feel like would eventually graduate to be the leader of their own squad. Plus the idea of a stealth squad that works for this mercenary character. He really is the ideal leader of Python Patrol. The problem is that uh, five or six pack, six pack is fairly obscure and so to say, here's Python Patrol, here's Major Blood, the person you all remember was the leader of Python Patrol, but really that never showed up in any fiction and really only showed up in this one toy pack. And then you've got Zorana, who's kind of the wild card here, but in the issues of the comic that featured Python Patrol, they featured Zorana as the leader. And so this gives us a nice, uh, not a love triangle, but a, a rivalry between these three candidates where the one that, from the fans' point of view, probably is the most justified in being the leader, and that's Copperhead, is also the lowest ranking of these three, and so the least qualified. And then Major Blood is a little bit more obscure, and Zorana is also fairly obscure as a leader of Python Patrol, but they both have source material justification for being there, and they both are fairly high-ranking members of Cobra. And we represent that by having each one having uh, the gaining Python Patrol leader as a contact. Each one has a Python Patrol's most blank leader. So from Copperhead, it's Python Patrol's most deserving leader. You can win Python, uh, you can win Copperhead over if you, uh, you know, stroke his ego. Major Blood, it's Python Patrol's ruthless leader. Oh, I would have liked that to say most ruthless so that it's all lined up. What's uh, Zorana? Shrewdest leader. Hmm. All right. Well, I would have liked these to have all been most something leader, but uh, maybe I forgot and didn't write it that way, or maybe it was changed in editing and people didn't realize this trifecta I was going for. Anyway, Python Patrol's Ruthless Leader. So, uh, yeah, if you just have to survive being under Pi Major Blood's command to gain him as a contact. And then Zorana is Python Patrol's Shrewdest Leader. If you can play the game, the, the manipulation game that Zorana is known for, then you can gain her trust. And then we get into threats. And this section actually was fairly large in the original outline. And then I was asked to trim it down. And then we needed some last minute changes to uh, the, the authorship of this chapter. And so suddenly we needed to get the contact done. And a lot of the word count that had been originally given to threats was then added to a generic section like general, uh, yeah, general perks and equipment options. And it was vague. And so it would have required a loss coming up with those ideas. 
Whereas we already had these threats lined up. So we went back to the idea of giving threats so that if you are a G.I. Joe GM, here's a whole bunch of characters that you can use, either the stealth version or not. So you've got the bat, you got a viper. And then when we get into the specialist, ah, the Heat Viper. Heat Viper is a character or a figure that I have fond memories of as a kid. It's ridiculous. It's got a ridiculous design. It's, there's a reason it hasn't been adapted yet, but there is a Python Patrol Heat Viper from that second, uh, uh, that six pack, that Toys R Us six pack. Which gave me an excuse to adapt uh, uh, one of the personal favorites of mine, which I hope doesn't come off as being selfish because it does still serve a nice mechanical purpose in that it is a heavy weapon trooper and an anti-tank trooper, which is useful because we just introduced a whole bunch of new G.I. Joe vehicles in the previous chapter. Um, and in writing the the this threat, I actually, I from now on, I think I'm going to try and tackle the threats first when I do a book like this where there's a mix of different options, including threats, uh, like when there's a mix of options within a chapter. So I, I don't just need to fill out a whole book, but I need to fill out a whole chapter based on a single theme. I wrote the Heat Viper and some of the later Python Patrol uh, troopers. And this hyperkinetic support harness was added to realize the, the visual of how the Heat Viper carries a rocket launcher, which is holded like one-handed. And so I was like, oh, okay, so they can wield two-handed weapons one-handed. And that made me realize that's actually a good option that I can then introduce as a player option. So by statting out the actual toys and making sure that the action figure is represented faithfully in the stat block, it then makes me realize ways that I can empower the players to make their characters as close to the G.I. Joe action figures as they can. Even not a specific one, just the reality of the world according to the G.I. Joe action figures. Uh, Python Laser Trooper, or Laser Viper rather. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know why he got both a threat stat block and a contact. He is one of the few, and he is a fairly obscure troop type. But whatever, he even gets a, a cool piece of, of cover art there. Uh, not cover art, but a cool piece of art. Uh, the Saw Viper makes the cut, so the Saw Viper was one of the ones that uh, was in that six-pack, and so was the Laser Viper. And Saw Viper is kind of notorious because in the comic books, there was just this five-issue arc, or four-issue arc maybe, where a whole bunch of Joes were suddenly killed. And normally only the original characters that Larry Hama had introduced were killed, Serpentor being the only exception. He was the only character who had an action figure who was killed off in the comic. Actually, I think some other Cobras might have been killed a little bit later, closer to when these Joes got killed. But anyway, no Joe character had been killed unless it had been originally created by Larry Hama until these four issues were suddenly just over a dozen characters were killed, including one issue where a Saw Viper specifically wipes out several key recognizable characters like Breaker, Doc, and Quick Kick. And so I personally hate the Saw Viper. I think it is one of the ugliest figures in the vintage line. And I think the it's got this oversized gun that looks like they just missed the mark. Like this was supposed to be then shrunk down to half the size and just they skipped that step. I, I really dislike this action figure. But opposite of the Heat Viper, I'm not going to let my personal feelings dictate whether or not this thing that I cannot argue is an important part of G.I. Joe history. Uh, he eventually needed to be statted out. There was a Python Patrol version, so now we have a version of the Saw Viper. 
We might still get non-Python Patrol versions of the Saw Viper, the Laser Viper, the Heat Viper, but as if we don't, we at least have some version of them statted out. Uh, the Lamprey was also in that six-pack. So was the Rock Viper. Man, did I just stat out? Oh, no. Then also the Televiper and the Viper. Okay. I, I managed to fit in a lot of the six-pack Vipers in there. In fact, I guess I got them all, unless I'm forgetting one of them. Uh, Rock Viper's just a good... Um, Good, good for specific territories. Like if you need a mountain climber viper, you've got one. Uh, Televiper, similar to the one in the Joe Joe role playing game core rulebook. I don't remember what we did to differentiate this one. I don't. Is it slightly tougher? I think the one in the core rulebook is threat level two, and this one's threat level three. I think because it's a silent communication officer, we uh, we played a little bit with that. Uh, then we've got the leaders, which includes the officer, because, of course, there was the officer. Then we get Copperhead. This is the first time that we've got Copperhead statted out. He probably should have made the cut for Cobra Codex. I don't believe we held him back for Python Patrol Copperhead. I think he just didn't make the cut for Cobra Codex, and now we do finally get Copperhead. And I'm glad. I think Copperhead is a super interesting character. And to he's also, like, fits a great mechanical niche in that he can be a lower-level boss fight he can be a higher level goon then for the python patrol vehicles there are only the three unlike tiger force which has unlike tiger force which i feel like has almost 10 vehicles python patrol got the three original vehicles and there's only one international vehicle there was a python patrol version of the dreadnought swamp fire which was that helicopter that can land in the water and um this felt like a weird place to introduce that for very obscure reasons. And then there's also been a Tiger Force repaint of the Vamp or the, the Stinger. And that was for a convention. And I thought about including that one because what's important about that is that the toy comes with a tow hook. Whereas the Python Patrol Asp, which is a towable, didn't have a Python Patrol vehicle that could tow it up until then. In fact, we even take a quick... Uh, you know, we we kind of poke fun at the fact that Python Patrol toy line had an asp in it but no vehicle that could tow it i still don't understand it uh the the stun didn't have a tow hook and i don't know if they missed that when they chose the asp or if originally they wanted a hiss tank but they this is all speculating if the hiss tank had been in python patrol which i think would have been the more recognizable vehicle and probably should have been the one that made the cut although the hiss 2 might have come out around that time which might have been why they didn't want to push the original hiss at the same time but in any case that one has a tow hook Looks very cool with the Asp, but would have been cool to have those together. Uh, yeah, so the Python Patrol Asp and the Stun, both the non-Python Patrol versions, both appeared in Cobra Codex. So we had to make sure that we did something original with each of them, which, again, I don't remember exactly what we did. But then the Python Patrol Conquest, which is a repaint of the G.I. Joe vehicle, which is a little bit annoying, again, as far as like what Hasbro chose to do, because that meant that there are three Python Patrol vehicles, one of which is a repainted G.I. Joe vehicle, unlike... Tiger Force, which kind of had that as part of their niche. This just happened to be that, oh, while Python Patrol's at it, why not steal a bunch of Conquests? This is the first time we stat out a Conquest. It, it's a fighter jet. It's kind of cool. It's actually, it's a better uh, opponent for the Sky Striker than the Rattler is, because the Rattler's a bomber, and a fighter jet can wipe out a bomber, whereas two fighters, it makes a better fight. Finally, we've got the equipment options. Most of these were drawn from things that I had come up with when I was writing the uh, 
the Python Patrol stats, and then I realized there are no Python Patrol general perks. That surprises me. I thought there were a whole bunch of them that were around being stealth, uh, stealth-based combat, but I must have just imagined that that was included in there. Chapter ends with the Python Patrol in your campaign, very similar to the one that was in the Tiger Force. Looking at the ways the Tiger Force campaign is different from a Cobra campaign. Finally, we have Chapter 4. This chapter... So if Tiger Force was a dream come true, this chapter is a fever dream come true. So many of these options wouldn't have even made it into the full expanded outline I had for Factions in Action, the original. If, if Factions in Action was a single book, a lot of these factions would not have made the cut. The reason that they are here... Well, there's a few reasons they're here. One of them is that they fit thematically with Python Patrol and Tiger Force. And that's really important to me. I think that if you are buying a book that tells you it is about blank, then it should be about blank, as much blank as possible. Second of all, if we were to just put the most popular stuff out and or most recognizable stuff, uh, followed by the second most recognizable, then the third most recognizable, that's a diminishing return. There's less nostalgia interest. There's, there's less of an audience for each book. And I don't want that. Yes, the core rulebook features A-list Cobras, A-list Joes, tells you all of the like basics of everything you need to do, the foundation. It, like, it lays the foundation for any Jojo campaign you want. And every source book after that takes it in a different direction, but we still need that foundation. But it's those other directions. I don't want it to just be, this is the next most popular choice, so we'll just go full bore into that direction. I like that this is a mix of two very popular, very recognizable factions and a bunch of stuff that would never make it out in a million years if it didn't have the thematic tie. And then the third, and probably the most important, is that this is mechanically interesting stuff. It gives you, in just a couple of pages each, whole new directions you can take entire campaigns or single adventures. So really, like... People may not be buying this book because it has the Anti-Venom Task Force or because it has the Mega Marines, but the fact that they are in there means that you can sit down and if you choose to do a Mega Marines campaign, you have everything you need to do it. And it's just core rulebook plus chapter four of Ferocious Fighters. And uh, speaking of fever dreams, if we look at the chapter art, it's so wild that this exists because first of all, the upper half is clearly Cobra Law and Cobra Law is probably the like, not probably. Cobra Law is the champion of this chapter. Cobra Law just didn't have enough meat on that bone to make a whole chapter. Uh, maybe we could have made, if we really stretched it out, we could have included like the those giant worm things called the Marauders. Uh, and there were just, uh, if we really made stat blocks for every weird insect monster that we saw in the movie, we could have had a whole Cobra Law chapter. A lot of it would have been stretches and a lot of it would have been very similar to one another. So I'm glad that we just made... Cobra Law, a big part of a smaller, or a, a big part of a partial, of a part of a chapter, rather than its own chapter. But yeah, so they, those are the spore pod launchers that we see in the movie, in the Himalayas. Pythona, a character that the movie absolutely made look like the coolest character in all of G.I. Joe, which came at the expense of all the characters actually in G.I. Joe, because she didn't get an action figure until like the 2010s. Yeah, she's flanked by some Cobra Law troopers. And then in the forefront, you've got Megamarine's gung-ho. So, super recognizable character, but he is in his, like, Space Marine neon orange and yellow outfit. To his right is Ambush, who's a, not a 
especially prominent character, but it's not just any ambush. It is Dino Hunter's ambush. It is the ambush that hunts dinosaurs. They are not connected in any way, which is, it's just fun that they're both together. Then we've got Barricade in his Anti-Venom Task Force outfit. So uh, Barricade of the three is easily the most obscure character, and Anti-Venom Task Force is easily the most obscure of the three factions, but also kind of the coolest look. It, it is the most military in nature. And yeah, these three disconnected characters just fitting in there with Cobra Law, this concept that kind of came in super hard and then was almost entirely abandoned by Hasbro. Oh, it just, it, I love that all of this stuff is interacting together because that's, if you have all these toys, that's how you play with them. You play with the toys that you have, you find an excuse to play with them. And if these are the PCs your characters made, these are the threats you can put them up against. Ferocious history goes a little bit broad in the idea that it's like, a lot of the times media presents Cobra's plans as pretty weird, involving a lot of mutations, a lot of just monstrosities. That's what this chapter is about. It's those monstrosities. And it takes concepts from a variety of different places in G.I. Joe media. Honestly, a lot of which appeared in the cartoon and then didn't get toy uh, interpretations until at the end of the Real American Hero line. And then over the years, sometimes there would be like a full six pack just dedicated to one of those concepts, which is where the Anti-Venom team comes from. So yeah, we look at the new... Uh, factions the anti-venom task force the most obscure but the most practical easiest to grok it is just cobra loves their mutants they love their monsters it is the anti-mutant squad cobra law is the weird prehistoric insect snake people there is no easy way to explain cobra law the dino hunters they hunt dinosaurs are there any dinosaurs yes if cobra wants there to be uh mega marines fight monsters mega monsters are the monsters so yeah, it, it's a large swath of weird options. We have a few influences in here. I've heard people argue that Beastly and Brutish should have their names swapped. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. This is just, we needed to make up something called Beastly. We needed to make up something called Brutish. These are the directions we went in. And nobody working on the book realized that they could be, those names could be swapped and that some people prefer it that way. Uh, the CBRN Defender, this is another Michael Bramnick idea where he really brought an original concept with uh, real-world practical history. And it is the influence that gives you access to the Anti-Venom Task Force. It, honestly, the Brutish and Beastly, I believe, were both also intended... When I put them on the outline, I believe my intent was for them to be faction access influences, but then Michael Bramnick went a different direction with them, and I liked the influence perks that he gave, so we just went with those being some factions that do not have an influence-based alternate access. If you want to make up an influence where the perk is you gain access to this faction, I mean, that there, all we've, we've just made one, we just need to add a name to it, right? And then Origin. So the citizen of Cobra Law is the only new origin in the book. And it really is flat out that you are a Cobra Law person. And we given a nice sidebar so that if somebody wants to take this option, make it a G.I. Joe. Mechanically, that is feasible. You just have to figure out how to do it. 
definitely discuss with your GM and fellow players because any mention of Cobra Law can be really upsetting to some people. Uh, new contacts, we got Anti-Venom Sideline, Dino Hunter's Ambush, Dr. Link Talbot. What I like... Oh, wait, sorry. We also have Nemesis Enforcer, Marine, Mega Marines Gung-Ho, uh, Monstro Vipers. All right, well, so looking at the G.I. Joe ones, it's the three ones from that art earlier. It's been pointed out that the majority of contacts in Essence 20 are either ponies or members of Cobra. So now we've got a little bit more variety to that and just the fact that we don't have really recognizable characters like Flint and Lady J yet, but we do have anti-venom sideline. Oh, wait a second, sideline. So though that era that I was talking about, Big Brawler, and where they were putting new heads on old bodies and sometimes giving them new names, one of those was a character named Lifeline. You might be saying, oh, well, no, it's just a new version of Lifeline. And it could be, but the problem is that they gave him a different original name, like, uh, instead of Edwin Steen, which is the uh, the more famous lifeline, they called him Greg Scott. The other problem with that is that Greg Scott is already the name of an existing Joe. It's Robo Joe. So there's this whole idea that maybe this lifeline was the lifeline before the more famous lifeline. Something terrible happens to him, and they had to rebuild him into Robo Joe. So in any case, just to avoid any confusion, I renamed that lifeline Sideline which I guess maybe it's going to actually add to some confusion. But that lifeline is the lifeline in the Anti-Venom uh, Task Force, even though the toy is just a repaint of Stretcher. Like, it's not the lifeline with a new head. It was a weird time where they were sometimes just kind of throwing some names onto some characters. In any case, having another medic contact is useful for everybody. Uh, Dino Hunter's Ambush is useful if you just need a new dino, if you need to take down some dinosaurs. Uh, and of course, I have one of the, one of my favorite things I've ever written is the opening line to Dino Hunter's Ambush's bio. Like the fin on the back of a Demetrodon, G.I. Joe's concealment specialist is a big dinosaur fan. Next, we have Dr. Link Talbot. So Dr. Link Talbot is not actually on any of the factions in this book, but he was in the same storyline as the one, the Anti-Venom, uh, task force was designed for which was uh, the uh the cobra venom troopers the v troopers venomization was the idea of hybridizing cobra troopers with animal uh, dna which is something that had happened on the original uh animated series in fact uh iceberg got turned into a killer whale kind of famously in that cartoon but there was also basically werewolf headed cobra troopers so uh they took that one episode made a whole theme for a year on the toy line around it. And Dr. Link Talbot is G.I. Joe's first veterinarian, which I think is actually a really cool niche because we do have a lot of G.I. Joe's with animal pets walking around the pit. So he he's one of those characters that, yes, he's obscure, but his function on the team is also a useful function in the role-playing game. And so he made the cut and got some mechanics here. Nemesis Enforcer made it in here because Nemesis Enforcer was statted out in the Field Guide to Action and Adventure in the G.I. Joe chapter, uh, sorry, in the G.I. Joe section of the Threat Design chapter, we did, uh, actually, so in that Threat Design chapter, we have a bunch of sample threats built purely using the Threat Design rules. Normally, threats that see publication you start with the Threat Design rules, but then they have to fit into, like, the, the word count needs 
of a book that's or of a threat that's going to be published and will also sometimes go a little bit outside of the actual mechanics so that they fit the role that they play within the universe but those ones were very specifically made to completely match the rules that we were saying this is how you design threats because those are functional rules we just as people working on the published material have additional rules that we have to consider so Nemesis Enforcer was put into the field guide because I never thought we would get around to Cobra Law in the main line for J.I. Joe. And Nemesis Enforcer, of all the Cobra Law characters, kind of is the one that has the... the People are most forgiving to Nemesis Enforcer. He is cool in the movie without being like Mary Sue cool, like Pythona. And without even being like intrusive like Cobra Law as an overall concept. He's just big thug with wings. So because he already had a stat block represented. And like I've been saying for any time that a stat block reappears, I don't like just redoing something that's published elsewhere. I want to give you something new so that if you are all in on Essence 20, you buy every single book, you have as little material in two places at once at the same time. We just only do that when it's stuff like the contact rules at the beginning of this book, where we absolutely have to, to make the book functional. So Nemesis Enforcer is here as a contact, which is super cool because it's almost exactly how he was used in the movie. He was like, Galobulus's pet enforcer and he has been renamed nemesis immortal in the toy line so nemesis enforcer is the only cobra law character to have more than one action figure he actually got a second action figure in the uh, 25th anniversary line and he was renamed nemesis immortal and just recently as of this recording it was announced that we are getting a new nemesis immortal action figure somewhere down the line in the classified line So that Nemesis Enforcer name is, I guess, has been retired by Hasbro, but we were still allowed to use it here. Mega Marines Gung Ho, Monster Viper. Monster Viper is a fun threat because he, he might just totally turn on you and, and beat you up. Uh, these Cobra Codex references is next, and this is something that I wasn't sure exactly how to handle this, and so I just didn't really address it, and this was all added in the editing and the development, and I think that's valuable. So it takes anything... That is Cobra Codex Mechanics. That is important for you to use the mechanics for the rest of this chapter. And it just kind of summarizes them here. Actually, it doesn't even summarize. It reprints them. We got our new threats, including Globulus, who is threat level 20. So once again, one of the highest threat level threats in the game. Cobra Lo Loyal Guard is threat level 6, making them one of the highest threat level basic troopers. Because... Again, they are shown to be really good fighters in the movie. And if you don't like Cobra Law, then you don't care what this stat block says. If you do like Cobra Law, then you are expecting the ones that knocked out Snake Eyes in a couple of hits. To actually make that, they would have to be like a threat level 25 trooper, which is absurd. But anyway, threat level 6, just to show that they are some of the toughest troopers of them all. Uh, that, seemed a, that seemed like a nice compromise with what you would want them to be. And again, as we get to in the uh, the final section of this chapter, if you don't want this stuff in your campaign, you just say it doesn't exist there. Just because there are rules for it doesn't mean it exists. And Pythona. Pythona actually was really fun to write because even though I may have been a little hard on Pythona, because I do resent that that role of her infiltrating the Terradrome and looking super cool, that could have been Snake Eyes doing the coolest thing he'd done in all of the cartoon. But no, instead we go from the thing everyone remembers... Uh, fondly which is that statue of liberty scene which people remember fondly because it's the joe's kicking butt doing the things you expect the joe's to do and then it 
immediately is followed by this scene of this character that does not have a toy, this concept that is kind of iffy, just absolutely dominating all of Cobra by sneaking into the terror drum. But yeah, just taken, taken on its own merits, the scene is great. The animation is wild, and the weapons she uses are all interesting. So they've all been uh, added here as her attacks, her powers. Like at one point, she dodges three bullets, so I had to do like decoy movements three times per turn. She can make a deception check to uh, to make it harder for her to be hit. Uh, then we've got the Mega Viper. This was written by Michael Bramnick, and he really likes the idea of making them seem like the biggest jerks in all of Cobra. I, I don't know why he decided that these were just the worst. Just if everyone in Cobra is the worst of all humanity, they are the worst of all Cobra. Uh, you know, that, that was his prerogative. And then the Monster Viper. The Monster Viper originally did say something about the... Oh yeah, no, it even says it. So after biogenetic infusions from Wolverines, Bears, Werewolves, and Bigfoots. That's taken from the file card. Now this is the era where Larry Hammer was writing... Wolverine for Marvel, so he was no longer writing the file cards for G.I. Joe, and it shows, because the Monster Viper file card just casually mentions the fact that there are cryptids and monsters in the G.I. Joe universe. Like, wolf people that have been genetically modified, that fits Cobra. Flat out saying a werewolf? No, that needs a lot of explanation. You don't just drop that in a file card. Well, they did, so we added in brackets, supposedly... So if you don't want werewolves and Bigfoot to be a part of reality in your Jojo campaign, you can just go on the but not really side of supposedly. Oh, one thing. Somebody I saw on the Discord mentioned that they did actually run a combat with a Monster Viper and it is really hard. And like, yes, it's a threat level eight, so it should be pretty hard. But he was even saying like above and beyond, it is really tough. And I just want to point out, so the Gut Bomb is one of their attacks. And it does two acid damage in a 10-foot radius blast. That was originally one acid damage. Because a 10-foot radius blast, you can hit a lot of Joes with that. And then, so if you're ever wondering why this alternate effect of two acid damage downshift one, why you would ever do that when the two acid damage 10-foot radius? I guess if you don't want to hit an ally. But yeah, so that's why. So if you find that this thing is dealing a lot of damage, you might want to bump down that two acid damage to one acid damage like it was originally written. Then we've got some dinosaurs. So we've only got two dinosaurs in here, the Triceratops and the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Now the Tyrannosaurus Rex exists as an action figure in the G.I. Joe line. It is the saddest, silliest looking Tyrannosaurus Rex toy you will ever see. But if you ever look up the Dino Hunters box set, you will see the Tyrannosaurus Rex does legit exist as a, an action figure in G.I. Joe. The, uh, the Triceratops only made the cut because there is an episode of the animated series where they go to this island where their cobra is cloning dinosaurs and the main dinosaurs you see are the Triceratops and the Tyrannosaurus Rex. I didn't want just one dinosaur if we were going to include a faction called Dino Hunters, even though if you read Dino Hunters, it doesn't actually say they're good at hunting or at fighting dinosaurs. It says they're good at fighting larger creatures, which is just more practical. Yes, they are good at fighting dinosaurs. So if there are dinosaurs there and you send them to Dino Hunters, they are going to live up to their name. But it doesn't mean that they just sit by the sideline being useless if dinosaurs are not involved in the combat. But in any case, we uh, we had the dinosaur hunter, we have the dinosaur hunter faction in the book. I thought some dinosaurs were called for. I only put in the two. I have seen a lot of people saying, "I wish there were more dinosaurs." At which point they start listing all of their favorite dinosaurs, 
And if you want to see some adults have the weirdest, most childish argument, have them argue about which dinosaur deserves to be the third dinosaur to make it into the book. Right, new vehicles, the Monster Blaster APC. This is the vehicle that uh, was designed for the, yeah, the Mega Marines. I always like having an APC. APCs mean that you only need one character in the party to have the driving skill, but everyone else in the party can ride along and everyone is on board with minimal forced skill commitment from the party. And of course, the way that uh, uh, vehicle qualification works has been clarified a little bit here in the, uh, the Factions Action book because it honestly, it's just thrown out there in the core rulebook that it, you are qualified with all land, sea, and air vehicles. And other than being a reference to the fact that on the G.I. Joe animated series, these Joes would just jump into whatever vehicle was there and everyone was equally qualified for everything, we never explain what this means. So these factions tend to not have that big broad one that the G.I. Joe faction has, but whatever you are qualified with, you can operate and do not suffer a snag because normally the driving rules are not just that you uh, would suffer a snag for having no skills in driving. I believe you need a D4. So if you have a D4 in driving, it might even be a D6 where you would still suffer a snag. So being qualified lets you ignore that pretty harsh penalty. The other vehicle in here is called the Dino, the D-I-N-O-H, the Dinosaur Interception and Neutralization Overland Hunter six-wheel drive. Here's the thing. That Dino Hunter box set that I was talking about, it includes a six-wheel drive Jeep. It's a repaint of the Desert Fox. That repainted vehicle has no name, which is very rare in G.I. Joe. Usually in every single box set, every vehicle, every character has their name identified somewhere in the box. But this is just the Dino Hunter's vehicle. So Michael Bramnick uh, got pretty clever. He came up with a cool acronym, a backronym, if you will, that includes dinosaur hunting into the name and also has a nice dinosaur hunting. Like It's the Dino H. So not only is it pronounced Dino, but it also is like Dino Hunter, like an abbreviation for Dinosaur Hunter. It is super clever. I am not great with acronyms, so I just applaud what he did here. New equipment options. So a lot of this is for controlling giant monsters. Uh, some biomechanical and bioorganic weapons and armor. Oh, yeah, I guess I should go back and say that the last thing that was written for this book, you know, by the writing team. So obviously developers will come in and they will, uh, that counts as writing too, even if they don't get author credit. But the last thing that was done by the writing team was for the Mega Marines. So the Mega Marines toys, not only do the toys all have like, they are some of the most technologically and heavily armored Joe toys in the vintage line. But they also had a gimmick where they had a mold and some some knockoff Play-Doh. And you could then, like, snap this bioorganic armor on top of their regular armor. And as they took damage, like, as the monsters chopped away at them, you would rip off the bioorganic armor to make it look like they're taking damage without actually hurting the figure underneath. Because, again, you've got heavy armor underneath it. And... And in the initial turnover, we did not have a rule that represented the biomechanical Play-Doh gimmick of the Mega Marines. And I realized, wait a second, we've already got organic armor because of Cobra La. So all we have to do is say that one of the Mega Marines things is that you get an exception to the rules about not wearing more than one battle dress. As long as one of them is computerized, which if you look at the action figure, they all look like they've got computerized armor. 
and one of them is organic, which is really the only excuse that a G.I. Joe character would have to wear organic armor. Mostly this is like chitin and stuff for characters like Cobra Law. So yeah, this is something, it was after Pencil Down and I was thinking about it, you know, just thinking about Mega Marines like you do. And I was like, I know what we should have done. And I double checked and they were like, yes, we've still got time if you want to make that change. And so I did. And finally, we've got the ferocious factions in your campaign. Actually, I'll, I'll talk about the grappling with weapons sidebar here. This has been a struggle since the core rulebook. There was originally a grappling trait for weapons and there was also the maneuver trait for weapons and there was the shove trait for weapons and there was the trip trait for weapons. And if it had the maneuver trait, it meant you can do all three of those things, but otherwise it just did the one of the three things that was changed. And in the development of the core of the Joe core rulebook, all of those were changed or most of them, I think there might be some trips still in there, but most of them were changed to just maneuver. So any weapon can be used to grapple trip and shove. And usually I can, figure out how something that can grapple can also trip. But it always kind of bugged me that like a lasso can shove somebody like I, I, anyway. So it was taken out. And so the grapple trait was taken out of the GI Joe core rulebook, but it still exists in power Rangers. And I think it might exist in transformers. So it's just one of those things that is not technically in the GI Joe book anywhere. So I wrote a grapple trait. I made sure that it covered all of the, grounds that it needed to and then this sidebar just kind of goes a step beyond saying like here are the rules for grapple here are the rules for grappling with a weapon here are the areas where there's a disconnect and here's how you connect those two things and then finally you've got ferocious factions in your campaign and the idea here is just to say that there is a lot of things in this last chapter that are really weird and not very military and you are totally justified in saying, I don't want those anywhere in my campaign. But if you do want them in your campaign, congratulations for the first time we've codified, well, I, for the first time we've codified Cobra Law and dinosaurs and monsters and the Joes specialized in fighting them all. And that is Ferocious Fighters. So Ferocious Fighters is the shortest G.I. Joe hardcover. We talked about this early on, and I don't think it feels like it. I think we really crammed a lot of material in there. It is a lot of GM-focused stuff. It is a lot of player-focused stuff. It is a lot of stuff that just covers different aspects of the G.I. Joe lore. I really do think that for a book so small by comparison, it punches with the same weight as, say, Cobra Codex. I do want to add, I have no idea how well anything sells. Like I am not privy to any of those facts or figures. I just know that, you know, I'm still getting jobs writing Judge O content for Renegade. So the Judge O role-playing game must still be doing well. However, Ferocious Fighters, when it first came out, it did not get as much chatter in its spoilers chapter or its spoilers channel on the Renegade Discord, which is really one of the only ways that I can measure the, the interest in a book. And it slowly gets new comments periodically so people are still buying this book discovering it like it also came out at a time where there was just all decepticon directive had just come out and a new power rangers book had just come out and so uh, it might have just kind of been lost in the shuffle if this is a book that you enjoy just do me the favor and post your thoughts somewhere to let people know that this book is out there and it's it's pretty cool 
Thank you for joining us for episode 27 of Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast. Before we go, I'd like to bring attention to some new bonus material that was added to the Renegade G.I. Joe role-playing game free bonus content downloads. So if you have access to this, which I believe you get as soon as you buy uh, either the core rulebook or any G.I. Joe product off the Renegade site, you can scroll down and near the bottom of the list is the Kitchen Viper. It's actually called Kitchen Viper version 3, but that's just version, I think that version 3 is an internal note. Don't worry about it there. You aren't missing versions 1 and 2. The Kitchen Viper is the Cobra Kitchen Patrol. They are a contact that you can have, and it is a tongue-in-cheek. It is loaded with hidden references and Easter eggs, and it's just a fun contact to have. And it also includes plot hooks for how you can incorporate them into your campaign. So if you are looking for a free contact and you already have access to the bonus G.I. Joe material, then enjoy this. This is uh, I put this together. I I had fun doing it. It's it's a one-page thing. It's more funny than it is useful, but it is still useful. With that out of the way, if you would like more great gaming podcasts, you can go to nodirectionpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the network, keep us, you know, keep our bandwidth paid for and our lights on you can go to patreon.com slash no direction and of course thank you to word burglar for the use of letter from snake eyes part four you can find out more at wordburglar.com see you in two weeks for the next episode of upshift